scripture this morning is from the letter to the Romans, chapter 6. It starts with the first verse, and it goes like this. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, you are buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in the newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are lots of ways in this world that we mark our identity. There's lots of ways that we define who we are, who we, who we are in this world and in this society. There's lots of words we use to tell people about ourselves. And the truth is that our identities are shaped every day by really big events and by little teeny tiny events. We're changed all the time by the big things, by the big easily identifiable things, but also by a million small things. George Washington said this, the turning points of lives are not the great moments. The real crises of identity are often concealed in occurrences so trivial in appearance that they passed unobserved. And that's the truth, really, that the things that make us who we are are not the big things, necessarily, that happen to us. The things that make us who we are are the little everyday things, the little everyday choices, the little everyday experiences that we don't even remember. How often do we get cut off in traffic and turn into a different person? We don't even remember it later in the day. We don't even remember it as a significant event. But it happens and we change. How often are our identities shaped by the casual comment of a stranger or a friend? They don't think anything of it. It doesn't mean anything to them. And yet, for us, they often become big moments of change. I had someone the other day tell me, uh, they looked, they meant well, they looked at me and they said, wow, you're getting really big. Which, God bless them, I am getting really big, right? <laughs> it comes along with nine months of pregnancy, but the little kid who always struggled with her weight heard, wow, you're really fat, right? And those are the little comments that happened all the time the little comments that shape our identity, 
that shape our reflexes, our responses to lots of things. Those are small things. And the reality is we don't have one identity. If we made a list, which I invite you to do right now, so get out a piece of paper, or you can do it in your head, but I like to write it down. So get out a piece of paper and spend 30 seconds. And I just want you to list all of the ways that you define yourself, all the identities that you have. So think about it. I bet somewhere in your list includes words like daughter, sister or brother, mother or father, grandfather, grandmother, citizen, church member, the things you do for a living, whatever it is that you do that define your identity. I'm guessing your list is at least six identities long. At least, right? Anybody have less than six identities that you came up with off the top of your head? And so we have to choose every day which identity, in any moment, which identity is the identity that we're going to wear. We have to choose, this is the hat. This is the hat I'm going to wear, or this is the mask I'm going to wear. This is the identity I choose for today. Now, Paul spends a lot of time in his, in his letters talking about identity. I didn't do an actual survey, but my guess is 80% of Paul's writing is about identity. It's about who you are. How do you define yourself? What does this new identity of Christian mean for you? Paul is not concerned so much about the what or the why of Christianity, though he does talk about that some. But his primary concern is who. Who are you? And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, what does that mean? It's all through his writings. First Corinthians 8, we hear him talking about food and how our choices about what kind of food we're going to eat shapes our identity. Are you going to be like those pagans over there who eat whatever they want? Or do you have to follow kosher laws? Or is there somewhere in the middle? It's a question of identity. Or when we go to chapter 14 of the same, chapter 16 of the same book, and he talks about the identity of men versus women and what that means in the church. And are you still defined by the rules for men and women in society, or does the church mean something different? The same argument in Galatians 5 when he says there's no longer slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile in Christ Jesus. It's about identity. And today in Romans 6, we hear him talking about whether your ethnicity matters. Should our loyalty as Christians, he says to these first century Jews, come first? Which is more important? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your nationality? Is it your identity? Or is it your Christianity that defines you? And what Paul argues is that God's grace, God's salvation, God's gift to us in baptism smashes our identities. 
all of them. People may still see you in whatever role it is that you have, whatever mask you're wearing that day, whatever hat you have on that day. But if you are baptized into Christ Jesus, then all of those identities are not defining you anymore. Those are not the primary marker of who you are. That God has overcome all of the ways that we separate each other based on our identities. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female. It overcomes all of those separations. It breaks them down. It takes the wall and removes it. It doesn't exist anymore. Paul says that our primary identity is as a member of the body of Christ. And that's what matters. Now, this can get complicated. This can be an issue. Because we have all these choices to make. We have all these choices to make every day about which identity we're going to wear. And all this language about baptism gets to be confusing because everybody argues about what, what baptism really means. Right? Like, we can pretty much agree on everything in Christianity except for the one thing which is really important, which is baptism. <laughs> right? And Presbyterians have historically said that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're dunked or sprinkled or splashed. It doesn't matter if you're an adult or a child. It doesn't matter if you're three months old or 85 years old. You are welcome to be baptized in whatever way, in whatever way you want to. Because baptism is about joining the body of Christ. And if you choose to be baptized as an adult, that's okay. If you choose to be baptized as a child, that's okay because God's already claimed you anyway. Your baptism is about being a member of the family of God. And so you are saved by grace, whether or not you are baptized. But that doesn't mean baptism is not important. In fact, baptism is the most important thing that we do. Because baptism is about your identity. It's about your responsibility to the body of Christ. It's about saying, you, child of God, are no longer male or female, slave or free, Jew or Greek. You are baptized in that font, and you are a member of the body of Christ. Now, Paul talks a lot about baptism and death in this chapter, and we don't like to talk about it that way because we normally baptize babies, and nobody wants to hold a baby and say, you have died with Christ now, baby, right? That's not a cute moment. We don't enjoy that, <laughs> right? And so we don't like that language. It's not adorable. We don't, it's not a welcoming environment. But we do use it at every funeral. You have been baptized into the body of Christ, and now your baptism is complete in your death. And so what that means is that you, from whenever you're baptized to whenever you die, are a person who is claimed by God. And your identities, whatever it is that holds you back, all those separating lines, those things are what has died in that water. Those things, those limitations, whatever it is, those identities, those masks, those hats, that is what dies in that water when we baptize you. And you are arisen with Christ. You're now a Christian. We die to ourselves and we rise to a new identity. Now, often our desire to fit in uh, overcomes that identity. 
We're given all this freedom, all this grace in the baptismal waters, and what do we do? We put all these rules on ourselves, and we suppress ourselves and our faith. We don't talk about it with our friends because we don't want to get in arguments, which is okay. And we don't talk about it in public because we don't want to get in trouble. And we're the nice kind of Christians, right? The kinds that don't argue about things and don't offend anyone. Or we shape our faith to make it more palatable to whoever we're with. Have you had this experience? Where we don't tell people exactly what it is we feel or what we think or what we believe about God because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. Or sometimes we choose other identities because we don't want to have to have that conversation, or at least I do. Um, every time that I go to a doctor's appointment or I get my hair cut or I go to the dentist or I go to the grocery store, people ask me what I do for a living. And I have to make a choice. And sometimes I just say I work with people. Because <laughs> I don't want to get in that long discussion. Because here's what happens when you tell somebody you're a pastor. Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, one of two things happens. I'm so sorry I don't go to church. Okay. <laughs> or two, oh, pastor, I need to tell you about... Right? And so I have to make that choice about whether I'm going to get into all of that. I went to my OB appointment last week, and she asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor, and 15 minutes later, we were talking about every pastor she'd ever met in her entire life. Right? And she's a doctor, so she probably had other people to talk to. <laughs> and that's an easy choice for me, because when you say you're a pastor, it's like putting a big cross in front of somebody's head, Right? Most people don't have to make that choice, but you do often have to make that choice when your friends ask, tell you about something that's going wrong in their life, and you have to decide whether you're going to pray for them or not, right? Is our response to give advice or a response to say, Chris, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can we pray for you? Because the second choice is choosing our Christian identity first. Or, Chris, can I share this with my pastor? Can I share this with other friends? Can we pray for you? Or, Chris, here's what I believe about this issue. Sorry to pick on you, Chris. I'll pick someone else. <laughs> right? You know, it's not like I have to choose what I, to tell people what, to do for, what I do for a living, but you have the choice all the time, every day, about that choice, about to tell people whether you're a Christian or not, whether to choose that identity first whether to make that what people see you as, rather than whatever other identity you've chosen for that day. It's a hard choice. But we're given the freedom to make that choice by God's grace, which is never ending. We're given freedom in the waters of baptism to try on the new identity of Christ, to die to the self that wants to not talk about it that's afraid to talk about it, or who doesn't want to be identified that way, we're given that freedom. Somebody texted me this morning with this quote from Nelson Mandela, another freedom fighter, and I want to end with it. It says, For to be free is not merely to cast off one's own chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. We're going to choose the identity of Christ, going to choose to live that way, then we offer freedom to ourselves, but we also offer that freedom to others.
And so when we choose to choose other identities, when we suppress our faith, when we choose not to be Christian first, we're denying freedom to another who may need that, who may need some chains cast off. And so we, are we enhancing our own freedom? Are we enhancing others? The word of the Lord. Amen. Baptized in water, sealed by the Spirit, cleansed by the blood of Christ our King. Heirs of salvation, trusting the promise, faithfully now God's praises we sing. Baptized in water, by the Spirit, dead in the tomb with Christ our King, one with his rising, free and forgiven, thankfully now God's praises we sing. Baptized in Members of the church, our emissaries of peace, and seek the good of all people in cooperation with the powers and authorities in politics, culture, and economics. They have to fight against pretensions and injustice, menacing powers, and endanger human welfare. Their strength is in their confidence that God's purpose, rather than human schemes, will prevail. Fill our hearts with your peace. You alone, O oh Lord, are holy. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. Alleluia. Dear friends, as we keep watch for the day of Christ, let us pray in peace for the salvation of the They will encourage the disheartened and face the future with confidence. 
I'm running to you with both hands stretched out and grabbing onto you. Fill me up with hope. And give me a tangible reminder today that hope is an unbreakable spiritual life. God, our creator and redeemer, we are the work of your hands. Help us be signs of your beauty and goodness for the world to see. We ask this for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Please stand if you are able and join us in hymn number 485. We know that Christ is raised, verses 1 and 2. Embraced by death, he broke its flesh. 